Amen. Be seated. Be seated. Are you thankful that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As Pastor Troy mentioned earlier, we are finishing up chapter one this morning in our Ephesians, a journey through the faith sermon series here today. Uh, so I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and turn to Ephesians one, chapter, chapter one, verse 15. And uh, we're going to spend some time in this wonderful epistle that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus here today. And um, normally I have like an example kind of um, illustration or something to go along with, that, uh, something for the intro. And I, I don't really have one today. I didn't really feel that God led me to one specifically. Um, I just want to kind of just give you a really fast recap. Pastor Troy brought a wonderful message last Sunday on counting our blessings and looking at those first 14 verses of chapter one in, in the book of Ephesians. And it was a wonderful time to be able to stop and reflect on what exactly God has done for us. If you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we must count our blessings because we have truly been blessed. We have been saved by God and we are going to be with him for all eternity, amen? What a wonderful blessing that is in itself. And we continually get blessings from our Lord and Savior every single day. And this message today is simply titled Thanksgiving and Prayer. What we're going to see here this morning is that the Apostle Paul, as he follows up from those first 14 verses, he's explaining to the church at Ephesus these blessings, and he's also saying and coming before them with thanksgiving, thanking God for them and what they have done thus far in the faith. And he also comes and does some intercessory prayer on their behalf. So with that said, let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word with Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 1, starting in 15. And the word of the Lord says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of God, who fills all in all. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's have a moment of prayer. Father God, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we come in this place week after week to proclaim the name of Jesus, to gather with the saints and lift high the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we have the freedom to do that. Thank you, Father, that we have gotten to do that here this morning so far. Through the time of your word being proclaimed in song, and now as your word is being proclaimed through me. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would keep me out of the way of this passage, Lord, that you would speak boldly through me. Let anything of myself fade away, Lord. Let every distraction that we can even have thrown at us by the enemy, let every bit of that fade away. And let's sit here over these next few moments 
And let's hear from your word and what you have to say. Father, as always, I pray for our brother and sister, brother and sister churches here in the community that are gathering. For, for, for this morning, Lord, I want to pray specifically for Friendship Baptist as Pastor Rod West is back in the pulpit here this morning after suffering a heart attack. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for healing him and bringing him to that pulpit today, Lord, to proclaim your word. Be with him, Father. Be glorified here in this place. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. As I mentioned, Paul's following up, talking about these blessings, and he's addressing the fact that there is some thanksgiving. There are some things that the Ephesians should be thankful for and that Paul is thankful for, for them, and he's also going to offer some prayer on their behalf. So if you're taking notes and you want to put down the first point, the first thing we're going to see is that for us, we can take from this example, now granted, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, but God has preserved his word for so many years to get us to where we are here today, reading this letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. And so this word is for us as well. God has saved and preserved his word for us. So for us today, number one, we need to praise God for the evidence of, Christ, of grace in our lives. Let me repeat that. Praise God for the evidence of grace in our lives. Look again with me at 15. It says, for this reason. Now, when he says for this reason, he's coming off of what he's already said in 1 through 14. So he's established those blessings. He's established the things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And says, so because of this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. I want to stop there for a moment. He's talking about two specific things that he points out there in 15. He says there, first off, their faith in the Lord Jesus. He's counting it blessing, and he says, because of what I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Although the Ephesian believers, they faced persecution, they were still living in a way that honored Christ. And it wasn't just by title. It wasn't just by saying, I, I love Jesus. Sure, I'll identify. No, they truly lived out what Jesus said in Matthew, I mean, excuse me, Luke 9, 23, when he says, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow. These Ephesian believers were doing that. They were living by the words of Christ and what Christ modeled. Because Paul, going there and establishing this church, and now he's writing back to them, he set an example for them as their leader. And he modeled this stuff about Christ. And these Ephesian believers are doing that. We know from other letters that when the churches aren't doing what they're supposed to do, what does Paul do? As any good shepherd would do, he calls out their sin. And he calls them to repentance and to move from it. Here, he's not having to do that yet. He's not having to do anything like that. He is saying, because of this reason, because of what I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Man, that's some good stuff for the Ephesian church to have Paul address them that way. And he says there in the second half of 15, your love towards all the saints. You see, their love for all the saints was something to be admired. Paul was hearing of how they were loving each other, how they were caring for one another. And so he wanted to give them a big hoorah, if you will, for doing that. Thank you for doing this, Ephesians. John 13, 35, if you'll recall, says... By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You put that up there on the screen, please. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus was telling his followers, 
People are gonna know that you identify with me because of the love that you share towards other people, especially how you treat each other within the church. And these Ephesian believers, they are modeling that, they are living by that, and Paul is giving them their hoorah for that. Now think about this in the context of the Ephesians. Paul has heard about what they're doing. Paul has heard and he's giving thanksgiving for that. It got me to thinking for the community of Park Circle in the city of North Charleston, Hanahan, the surrounding areas, if they had to pin a letter to Holmes Avenue Baptist, what would it say? Would they be saying, thank you for the demonstration of what you're doing in the faith? I think God is doing amazing things here. I really do. I think that God is working, God is moving, and I am so excited about what God is doing here. But with that said, what is the outside world looking and saying about Holmes Avenue? Are they saying, man, these people are on fire for Jesus? Man, they love one another. They bear each other's burdens. It's just something to be thinking about, something to be thinking about. Look at 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, Paul also tells the Ephesians that he does not cease to give thanks for them. Paul is letting them know from 15 forward, hey, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in Jesus and because of your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Another example of a wonderful shepherd to this congregation as he is giving the examples of, of praying for these people and caring for them. He gives thanks for God in his prayers. And he says there that I do not cease to give thanks. Makes you wonder, every time that the Lord approached, I mean, every time Paul approached the Lord in prayer, the Ephesians were on his mind. He was constantly praying for the body. He was giving thanks to God for that. I can assure you that your leadership does that for you. We pray for our flock. We pray that God would continue to grow us spiritually and use us powerfully to, to break the walls down and tell the community how much we love them and how much Jesus loves them and died for them and proclaim it. We pray that for you. We pray that for ourselves. It reminds me of a verse that we just looked at this past Wednesday, and Wednesday night while I was there, I found out that it was a question asked the prior Wednesday, and that is 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It simply says, pray without ceasing. This was Paul's attitude. Paul had this attitude of praying without ceasing. And while we were talking about it on Wednesday night, they were telling me the example that Pastor Troy gave to someone that asked the question the week prior. And brother, I love the example that you gave. Pastor Troy said, that when you look at that in that context, you're praying. Somebody might look at that and they might say, pray without ceasing. I have to be praying all the time. I can't pray all the time. I have to go to work. I have to do all this. Got to do this. No, here's the thing. Y'all remember the old Batman show? The old Batman show that was on TV? They had the red phone and Commissioner Gordon. He can just pick up the phone. Any moment he wanted to call Batman and Batman would be right there. And you know from later on in the comics too, they, they put the sign up in the sky. That was the, the example for Batman to come. Y'all might think it's silly. I'm talking about Batman while trying to preach a sermon. But think of it in that context. God is right there for us. He's right there. We have that direct communication. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a mediator. We have direct communication with the God that created the universe. And we have that because of what was done on the cross at Calvary by Jesus Christ giving up his life for us and taking on that wrath. 
thank God that we have that direct communication. So every opportunity that we have, when things come on our heart, when a brother and sister in this congregation of yours comes to your mind, I don't believe that's there by mistake. If somebody on your heart comes on your heart and in your mind, put that person before the Lord in prayer. Pray for your brothers and sisters in your congregation. Pray for your pastors. Please pray for your pastors. We covet your prayers. Are you giving thanks to God for our community of faith? Are you approaching the throne room as often as you can and lift up your brothers and sisters? I would also encourage you to do, and I'm not saying this because I did it. Please, this is not a statement like that. But you notice any opportunity I get to pray, I pray for at least a church by name or, a fellow, or just all the churches in general. This is not something that we do alone. God did not put Holmes Avenue Baptist Church in part circle by itself. Holmes Avenue Baptist Church is here. It's at this corner of, of Durant and Holmes Avenue for a purpose and for a reason. But there's also many different churches that God has divinely appointed in those places where they are right here in this community. Let's lift up our brothers and sisters because we are in this together for God's glory and for the kingdom. Not to mention those that are on the mission field. Let's pray and continually approach the throne room, lifting up our brothers and sisters with thanksgiving. Secondly, pray for better understanding and knowledge. Pray for better understanding and knowledge. Look at 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, Paul transitions from this thanksgiving that he's been thanking God for, and now he's, he's addressing specific prayer requests for the Ephesian believers. And when he says there's a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, he is praying that the power of the Holy Spirit would provide insight into God's word and the saving knowledge of him. Yes, these Ephesians are believers. They know the Lord Jesus. But Paul is praying that as they continue to grow in their walk with him, that God would continue to reveal himself to them. And they would continue to know a deeper understanding and the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. See, there's a difference in just knowing of Jesus and knowing Jesus. Same is true for any other person. Y'all may think I'm corny, but you know that I'm a pro wrestling fan. Don't judge me for it. Richie, for his wedding, since I married them, he got me Macho Man Randy Savage socks, and I should have wore those today, and I didn't. But I'm a wrestling fan. You know that. It's silly. I know. Miranda thinks it's silly continually. It's okay. I'm a wrestling fan. And I know all the silly little facts you need to know about anything that's happened in the past or in the current time period or anything like that. Mr. Ed... He might not like me calling him out for it, but Mr. Ed's a wrestling fan too, so y'all can't judge me. <laughs> right? Right, brother? We've addressed that before. But here's the thing. Years ago, I went with my brothers and my cousins down to Miami. Yes, we drove in a van for nine hours. I will never do that again. To go to a wrestling event called WrestleMania. And while we were there, they had their little time where you could meet and greet some of the wrestlers and all that. Well, that cost a lot of money. We didn't want to pay that. So we just walked around and got all the free stuff that we could. So there was one point, though, where there was a trivia game. 
And there was an opportunity, if you got selected for the trivia game and you won, your name would go into a raffle for a signed championship belt by Triple H. And he was my favorite at the time. And I said, I got to do this. And my brothers are like, man, you ain't going to be able to get it. You ain't gonna be able to. Sure enough, I got up there and I won the trivia contest. <laughs> and I got my name in there. I didn't win the belt, but I still was able to do that. I have a lot of useless information about pro wrestling. And I know a lot about Triple H and these other wrestlers. But here's the thing. I don't know Triple H. I don't know him. I don't, know, I don't know anything about him. He doesn't have a clue who I am. Do you know Jesus in a way like a husband loves his wife and cares for his wife? I know Miranda. I know her intimately. I know her because that is who God has given to me and we grow in that relationship every single day. Do you know Jesus so intimately because you grow in your faith with him. You see, when Paul says there in 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. You see, in the Hebrew, the word for know or knowledge comes from the word yada, which in a way expressed sexual intimacy. For example, Genesis 4.1, the first part of 4.1, says, now Abraham knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. You see that anywhere, all throughout scripture. When you see anything that says they knew, it means there was a sexual intimacy. It was that encounter. They knew each other. But you see, in the Greek, the word for that is epignosis, which means a real, deep, full knowledge. Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers to have epignosis for Jesus, that they would have such a full, real, deep knowledge of him. Where are you in your relationship with Christ? Do you know of Jesus or do you truly know him? Are you progressively growing in your sanctification or are you at a stalemate? Wherever you are, especially if you're in that category of saying, I'm at a stalemate or I don't know, guess what? You can begin right now. If you don't know Jesus, you can know the one who took on God's wrath for you at the cross of Calvary and died for you and his blood was poured out so that you would not spend eternity separated from God in hell. We've said this before. There are churches out there today that they do not want to say the word hell or any kind of mention of it close to it because they don't want to offend anybody and turn anybody away. We ain't like that. The reality is there is a place where you're going to go when you die. If you know Christ as Lord, you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. If you do not know Christ as Lord, you're going to be separated from him for all eternity in hell. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's reality. There is a redeeming love that God has shown for you on the cross. All you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus. All you got to do is surrender your life to him. There's a day coming when we will all in Christ 
all of us who proclaim him as Lord, there is a day coming when we will truly know him completely. There's a day coming when we will see him face to face and we will bow at his feet and cry, holy is the Lord for all eternity. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. For some of us in this room, it may be closer than not. For some of us in this room, by the way, if you're thinking, oh, well, I got many years left, the reality is that is not the truth. None of us are promised the next breath. There's a day coming when we are going to know him completely. But until that day comes, we don't sit idly by and pick up our Bible and bring it to church on Sunday and put it down when we get home and go about doing all the things that we want to do until Sunday comes back around and we pick up our Bible and we bring it to church and we do the cycle all over again. We've got to get to the point to where we realize this is the word of God. Jesus died for me and I don't want to grow stale in this relationship. I want to know him so intimately. God, reveal yourself to me every chance you can when I open your word. Paul also in verse 18 starts to pray for three specific things. He says, having your eyes and excuse me, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Let's look at that first part. Paul is praying that they would know the hope to which he is called. He's praying that the believers who have professed Christ, these believers that know him, they would take hold of the hope that we have. And that is my prayer for us, that we would take hold of this hope that we have, the hope of what is to come. We've already established that. I said what is to come. But that we would hold on to it so much that we would not let it go, that we would be on fire for Jesus proclaiming all the goodness of what he's done for us. In John's, one of John's later letters in 1 John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, will has not, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when, this, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. There's a day coming that we're going to be so complete, where we will truly know Jesus. That is the hope that we cling to. The second part of 18 says, the riches of his glorious inheritance with the saints. I don't like to call people out, but I'm just going to do this for a moment. Miss Debbie, you did a phenomenal job obeying the Lord's leading for the songs this morning. Because when we see here, and it talks about the inheritance and that, that concept of be thou my vision and same power that we sang here this morning. Oh, praise God that we have that glorious inheritance coming. Paul wants his readers, the, the church at Ephesus, for us to see that we are part of God's riches. God wants us to understand the high value that he sees in us. We are his most prized possession. This is the God who created and spoke everything into existence. And he loved us enough to send Jesus so that when we would surrender our lives to him, we could inherit the kingdom. Think about that. You and I lived our lives in rebellion against God. Yet when we surrendered our life to Jesus, transformed. 
we have that hope and that transformation that's happened to us because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And we have that hope that we live our lives completely and surrender to God for what is to come. But we still mess up. We still sin. Let's be honest, we still sin, right? We still do. But thank God that we can come before him and say, Lord, I repent. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Because here's the thing, you and I don't deserve that grace. We don't deserve that mercy. Yet we are given it by God. We get to inherit the riches of what he's given to us. What a glorious inheritance that is. And the last thing he points out is in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. God's power trumps all. There was a concern in Ephesus at the time of these supernatural forces through, through magic and witchcraft and such. And we know if you, if you look up there at Acts 19, 19, it says, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. When Luke is writing this, he's describing what is happening to these Ephesian believers. They are converting and they're coming to know Jesus and they're realizing the sin that they were doing. And what were they doing? They were burning it. They were saying no more. But there still was that concern at the time. So when Paul's addressing this about this, these spiritual um, things that are not of God and these powers of, of evil that are being used, Paul is making sure he points out, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his might. God's power can do anything. God is stronger than anything we face. We, he is stronger than anything that the enemy will throw at us. So whatever fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, sin that you have that the enemy is trying to throw at you to keep you off of being focused on what God has, understand this church, the power of God and the transforming work of Jesus on the cross trumps it all. There is nothing, there is nothing that will overtake the power of God. He is powerful. He is almighty. He is king. Get behind us, Satan. Last thing. Praise God for his exaltation of Christ. Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The first part of 20, Paul is, is giving a little prequel, if you will, to chapter two, four through seven. And Pastor Troy's gonna bring that next week and I can't wait. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But he's establishing the fact when he emphasizes that the believers are being raised to life with him. Paul is testifying about the resurrection. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, 18, it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, your labor, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's all because of the resurrection that we get to work for God's glory and for his purpose and what he's called us to. Thank you, God, for the resurrection. 
You see, because here's the thing. At Easter, sometimes we may get so focused on the cross and what happened there, and that is very important. That is extremely important because Jesus took on our wrath. But can you all imagine for a second what would have happened if it ended at the cross and that was it? Think about that. If it ended at the cross and there was no resurrection, Satan would have won. But God, through his power, the strong power of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, death was defeated. Death was defeated. Thank you, Rachel. Death was defeated. Praise God for the resurrection. He has seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, as the second part of 20 says. We know that in Acts 1-9, it tells us that Jesus ascends into heaven. We know that it was 40 days after the resurrection from the dead, after he had visited his followers. We know that. And when he went to heaven, he sits at the right hand of God Almighty. Listen to this, church. He is seated, and it means that he is Lord. He sits on his throne. He is Lord. He deserves the honor and the power. And he reigns, as Paul says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in the heavenly places. His throne is more authoritative than any throne on this earth. More than any king, more than any queen, more than any president, more than any political party, more than anything. Jesus reigns supreme. Psalm 8, 6 says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Listen to the last two verses. 21 and following, last three. Far above all rule and authority and the power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is very important for us. Christ is the head of the church. And we are the body. He is the head of the church. We are the body. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. We submit to his authority. Here's what that means. When we submit to his authority, it's the same thing which ties back into what I said last week during the Sunday school time from Romans 12.1. That means that we, as the church, present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. Which means that Brian doesn't get what Brian wants anymore. It means Brian has to die to self. And I have to say, whatever you want, Lord. And the same is true for each and every one of us in here. The same is true for any one of you that is listening online. Do you submit to the Lord as the headship? 
Do you honor him and glorify him for who he rightfully is? Ben, you can come forward. Troy and Michael and Rachel, I'm going to ask you all to come forward too while I lead the band. I just want us to think about this for a moment. Think about what God has done for us and the grace that he has shown us. Think about the fact that he willingly gave his life for us on the cross. And we, as the church, must submit to his lordship in our lives. We, as the church, must submit to him and say, thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, God, for the wonderful inheritance that we get to receive. But there may be somebody in here that doesn't know what it means to experience that inheritance. You don't know what it means to have that hope for what is to come. These gentlemen and this lady are going to be here if you want to talk and have prayer. You may be in here and you may know of that inheritance, but you have something going on in your life and you just need to talk with somebody about it and you need prayer. Come forward as we sing this song. I'm gonna pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, that we have the wonderful gift of knowing you as our Lord and Savior. We have the wonderful promise of our inheritance in heaven with you. And Father, I just pray now, Lord, as we sing this song, as we're gathered here in this place, Lord, Lord, that if you're working in someone's heart, Lord, that they would hear from you and that they would surrender to you right now. Father, I just pray, Lord, in this place that you would be glorified. In Christ's holy, powerful, precious name, amen.